Good morning. Good morning, church family. Um, if you're a guest here, my name's Jerry Revet. I serve here, First Baptist Church of Thibodeau. Um, <clears throat> as I was getting ready for this, I was kind of considering the name of this series, just kind of trying to think how I'm going to introduce. And I mentioned Church Matters, and it kind of just caused me to meditate for a little while. Man, when we say church matters, we can think of the church that Kevin spoke about, the, the body of believers, all believers of all times. And when we think of Ephesians, and it talks about husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The church matters. Christ gave himself up for the church, for the universal church of all times. But not just that, the church matters, the universal church of today throughout the entire world. People that are presently living right now in this world, they matter. The church matters because we are the hands and feet of Christ in this world. And, and then we could go on a smaller scale and we could think of the local church, right? We could think of this church right here, First Baptist Church of Thibodeau, the members sitting here right now and the members that are not present with us right now in this service, and this church matters. This church matters in this community. This church matters to each other. We matter, the church matters. And also we can think of each individual sitting here, right? Each one of us that are saved by the blood of Christ. We are not ourselves the church, but we are members of the church and we matter. And so that's what we're gonna talk about today. We're gonna talk about service in the church. Uh, why should I serve my local church is the topic for today. So before we start today, I want to pray. I want to pray for me. I want to pray for you. Um, and I want to pray for the church. But Father God, um, we are here today to ultimately glorify you, God. Father, we pray that in everything we do, let it be of glory to you. Father, I pray that we would leave here today encouraged, God, that we would leave here today convicted, that we would leave here motivated, God, to serve you, to serve our, our fellow believers, God, and Father, to serve in such a way that is honoring to you and brings glory to your name. So, Father, I pray that as I speak, that you would cause me to speak clearly. Father, that as I speak, you would speak to my heart along with everyone in here's heart, God. Father, help us to understand that church matters and help us to understand that service matters, God. So be with us, speak to us in the name of your son. Amen. So when I ask the question, what, sh uh, or, or what do you think of when you think of service? We're here to talk about service today. And, and I could tell you one of the first things that comes to mind for me is government service. And, and I'm not going to sit here and tell you about all kind of politics, but when we think of government service, what are some of the first things that you think of? And, and I would venture to say that probably the majority of us think of corruption, we think of embezzlement, we, we think of people in position lining their own pockets or, or serving their own agendas. And, and, and in the grand scheme of things, many of us look at this and we realize that, that these people are supposed to be serving us, but they are not, they are just serving themselves. 
And, and this is not true about everyone in government or, or everyone in some kind of public uh, position or public service, but it is true of some. Uh, and, and we can also think of the church and, and, and many on the outside of the church and, and maybe some on the inside of the church think the same. They think, think likewise, right? They think that the leaders of the church or some churches may have one leader, but, but this leader or these leaders are uh, in a place supposed to be servants of Christ, but all they are doing is serving themselves. And, and this is true also. Uh, we would venture to say this should not be true of the church of Christ, but this is true of some so-called churches. Well, the question is, what is service in the church? Uh, uh, what should be service in the church? Is it a place that I go that just serves me? Uh, is it a place that I go just to be served? And, and that's what we're going to try to answer today. When we think of Jesus, we think of the Lord of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ. He once said, even the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to be served and to give his life a ransom for many. We know the ultimate, the ultimate test of service, right? He gave his life for those that would believe in him. And this same King of Kings and Lord of Lords who died for believers, he also left his disciples with this great example of service that we find in John chapter 13. You may remember Christ washed the disciples' feet. I want to say a lot about that right now, but I don't have time. I don't like feet. I'll tell you about it later. So, so this means a lot to me, right? If you could see through my eyes in this, it would mean so much more. Uh, but nevertheless, Christ washed the disciples' feet. And this is what it said in John thir uh, chapter 13, starting in verse 12. It says, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Verse 17 says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Well, there is some significance in this text to cleansing. You may have studied this text already. But in regard to service, we see that in loving humility, we are called by Jesus Christ to serve one another. Now, this was one of the most mundane and ordinary acts of that day, one of the lowest and normal, natural, ordinary acts of service in Jesus' day. But this was in no way an act of service that was to be executed by a king. And we can look at this and we can say, in no way should this have been executed by the king of kings, right? And Peter even goes to say that. You will never wash my feet. But Jesus was given an example. He was given an example to them in that day, to us in this day, that meaningful, humble, loving service is how we should live our lives. And specifically in this context, among one another. So it may be great or it may be mundane, 
But service is caring for the needs of others. No matter how big you think service is or how low you think service is, it is caring for the needs of others. So the focus on service in scripture, quite unlike the things I brought up in introduction, it is rarely about what we receive, but it is mostly and almost always about serving others, about how we are to serve. So in the church, we are called to serve just like Jesus served, just like the example that we just saw. Now, as way of reminder, Kevin taught us last week about the church. He talked about the doctrine of the church. He talked about the universal church being the body of believers of all times, right? All believers of all times, all the way from the beginning till now and wherever this goes until Jesus comes back. When we define a local church, the local church is a small expression or a small group of that universal church that just serves and worships in a certain geographical location, right? Uh, so as a body of believers, the local church commits to each other as a corporate unity pursuing the ordinances as well as the commands set forth in scripture for us to live and practice as an expression of God's people. So, so people on the outside, which is they see the church as, not as this building, but as this group of people living as an expression of God's people as a whole, right? That's what we are. That's the local church. This includes us gathering at this specific location regularly to worship Yahweh by singing that we just did. Thank you. Uh, worship team, as well as by the preaching of God's word, right? That's what we do. That's the two primary things we do. There's a whole lot of other things we do also. But we would identify the members of First Baptist Church of Thibodeau as this local church. So when you think of First Baptist Church of Thibodeau, don't think of the building. It's you. It's all of you here, all of us together as the gathering, as the assembling of God's believers here. We are the members of First Baptist Church of Thibodeau, the local church. This morning, I want us to think with a rather focused perspective on the local church. And, and this is something that I want to hang with you through the whole sermon, okay? The local church is a small expression of the body of Christ of which you are a vital member. Very, very important. I'm going to repeat that. The local church is a small expression of the body of Christ of which you are a vital member. Keep that in mind. You are a vital member of this local church. So today we will answer the question, why should I serve my local church? This is a very important question to answer, and we will seek biblical understanding of what we do here, right? Week to week, week in, week out. Uh, there are many different needs that need to be met, and hopefully this study will help us to view those needs from a biblical and spiritual perspective. Uh, some acts of service are rather mundane, right? Uh, we can see Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Well, well, there are things that we do here as an act of service that are even less than that. It may be picking up a piece of trash. I, I mean, all kind of things we do are service. And, and the world looks at those things as just that. Oh, that's just mundane. 
that's nothing important. Well, when we see service as having a spiritual significance, we will not only have a different view of service, but we will hopefully have a different motivation to serve. So why should I serve my local church? I'm going to give you three main reasons why you should serve your local church. So these three main reasons are because I am called to serve God in my local church. I am called to serve God in my local church. Uh, you should not view your service as something that's just filling in a block on the calendar, right? We have to do that logistically to get things done, but that's not what your service is all about, just filling in a gap on a calendar. But you should view your service as serving the living God who has called you into his kingdom. Secondly, why should I serve my local church? Because I am called to serve my brothers and sisters in my local church. Well, you serve God by serving people, right? Uh, we, I'm sure, all realize this. When you serve, you are physically serving fellow members of the body of Christ through the things that you do. But you should realize that there is great spiritual significance in serving people. And then thirdly, you should serve your local church because in serving your local church, you are also a recipient of grace. So as you serve, and uh, you may serve a lot, as you serve, you receive the benefit of God's grace. Uh, you receive it through your service as well as through the service of others. So you will see as we tread through these reasons that uh, you don't do different acts to uh, attain one of these uh, reasons, right? Uh, it's not that you do this and, and you're serving God. You do this and you're serving people. You do this and you're receiving grace. You, you should understand that as you serve, all these things happen, right? They all happen simultaneously. And so my goal for us today is first that you would be encouraged. Um, we have a really, really good family here. We have a really good local church. We have a lot of members. Most of the members, if not all of the members, are serving in some sort of capacity. So, so my first goal today is that you would be encouraged. You would be encouraged in your serving and maybe have somewhat of a, a added uh, perspective to your service, right? Of the spiritual significance of your service. But secondly, I would hope that you are convicted. I would hope that you are convicted as I am convicted because the Lord grows us through conviction. We are sanctified through conviction. So may the Lord convict us this morning when it comes to service that we may grow. And then finally, I hope that you will be motivated. Motivated to serve where you are called to serve in the way that God has gifted you to serve. So those are my three goals for today. So let's look at our first point. Because I am called to serve the local church. Now when we 
think about serving the local church, when we actively serve the local church, we, we, we don't necessarily think that we are serving the Lord. We don't realize we are serving the Lord. We walk around and we see each other, right? We see what's in the physical. Uh, we see needs that need to be met, possibly. Uh, we see people that have those needs. We see uh, things that need to be done here, and we just do them, right? Uh, so why would I say that you serve the Lord in your local church because he's not sitting here. He's not on his throne. We're not looking at him physically. So, so how is this true? How do we serve the Lord when we serve our local church? Well, first we serve the Lord by understanding our right position before him. Now, what do I mean by this? I mean, God has saved you by the blood of his dear son. He has made you right in his sight. But look, when he saved you, when he justified you, when he declared you righteous in his sight, he did not just place you there and say, well, he's righteous. He's in the right position now. No, no. He took us out of the kingdom of darkness and he placed us into the kingdom of light. We are in God's kingdom now. When we think of God's kingdom, we can think of the realm where God rules. That's where we are. We're no longer in the realm where Satan rules. We are positionally right before God and standing in his kingdom where he rules. He is the king of his kingdom. We are subjects and therefore servants. This is our rightful position as creatures before a living God who created all things. So as believers, we are transformed into the kingdom and we are called to have a life of service before God. And we can look at this throughout the pages of Scripture. Uh, servants, I don't even know how many times servants or service or, or something with that effect is mentioned throughout Scripture. But even if we were to look back into the time of Moses' writings, um, he says to the Israelites in Deuteronomy 6.13, he says, The Lord your God has brought you out of Egypt, right? And this is what he tells them. He says, You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him. And that may sound simple, but this is what he's saying. God has taken you out of bondage. God has taken you out of Egypt. God has saved you from being under the rule of the Pharaoh, and he has placed you in his kingdom. He has placed you under his rule. So he's basically saying, Israelites, you are now in the proper place. You are in rightful position before God. You are under his rule. Serve him. Now, God's people have been referred to as servants throughout history, throughout the Bible. You can go back and, and, and look at so many of the, the patriarchs, on through the prophets, on through the kings, and, and different people called as servants of the Lord. And if we realize God's economy, that's just how it goes. He is ruler. He is God of all. He is king. We are subjects who are called to serve the king. And, and, and service should be the natural response of our rightful position before God. So, so when you are saved, when you are placed in that rightful position, the natural response should be service, should be to serve the Lord. He is king. We should honor him and we should live to serve him as king. 
God has, in fact, designed us for service. If, if, if you've been in any of the classes that have been studying Genesis and you can Remember back whenever we were talking about Adam, and Adam was created in a garden, right? And, and Adam was created perfect, and he was created to serve God. And God gave him dominion over all of the earth. That did not mean that Adam was to rule in a wicked way that we think of wicked rulers of today. Adam was to lead the entire creation in glorifying God. That was his job. That was his purpose. That's why he was created, to lead the creation in glorifying God. And then later on in the pages of Scripture, we know we very shortly after get to chapter 3 and man falls, right? And in the event of man falling, everything following that in history up until today, until when Jesus returns, is redemptive history. Now you brothers and sisters and I, we have the privilege of living on the other side of the cross. The Israelites, what did they do? They knew God as Savior. They knew God would send one that would save his people, right? But we know who that is. That's Jesus. Jesus is the redemptive Savior of mankind. And for the redeemed, God has modeled service for us in Jesus Christ. Just as the example that we looked at earlier. Everything Jesus did was in service to God the Father. We too as adopted sons and daughters of God should live a life of service to God. Our new life is in contrast to our old life. And look, one of the ways that you can know this best is before you longed to be served. Now you are recreated and should long to serve. So I want to illustrate this with Jesus' disciples. If we think back of Jesus' disciples, Jesus came and, and his disciples began to learn who he was, right? They thought he would set up this earthly kingdom and, and, and they would be placed as rulers over the earth. And then they even go as far as John and James wanting to be placed at his right hand and his left hand. And what was this? This was the highest positions next to Jesus, right? They wanted to be top rulers. And we could assume they wanted to be rulers over even the other disciples. And they possibly even wanted to be served by the other disciples. This was the highest place of honor. But they got it all wrong. Jesus's kingdom doesn't work that way. Jesus's kingdom is countercultural to that culture, right? Countercultural to everything we see whenever we look at the world around us. In the kingdom of God, the greatest is servant of all. We can see this transformation take place in the lives of the disciples, right? Because they became apostles and they risked their lives day in and day out to serve God and to serve his kingdom. And they went through immense persecution just to serve God and just to do what God had called them to do and serve his church. Most of them even to the point of death. So, so we see the disciples go from wanting to be served to doing just as Jesus said, to be servant of all. Now, another way we could serve the Lord is in living holy lives, 
right? We serve the Lord by living holy lives. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. Very familiar verse, uh, set of verses for us. It says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Now, now, Peter, if you know anything about Peter, he is the master of illusion. That's illusion with an A, not illusion with an I, right? And so what does Peter do throughout his writings? He is always alluding back to what God has said previously. He's always alluding back to the Old Testament. And that's exactly what he's doing here. He's alluding back to the book of Leviticus. If you know anything about the book of Leviticus... It's that this phrase, be holy for I am holy, is written at least four times in the book of Leviticus. In addition to that, the phrases, I am the Lord and I am holy, are written over 50 times in the book of Leviticus. And then in addition to that, the book of Leviticus has roughly 125 occasions indicting man for uncleanliness or instructing man to become clean, to become purified. So my point here is, in Peter saying this, and us looking back to Leviticus, God's people have always been expected to serve him by living holy lives. The, the book of Leviticus is all about men and women of God being separated from their culture around them unto this holy God. It is a continual struggle for all of us, right? Uh, we are all living in our sanctification, but we struggle with killing the flesh and living in the spirit day after day, moment after moment. And, and even in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, it tells us, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. In all our efforts to kill sin and pursue holiness, we are in fact serving God. We are representing God. We are saying by our actions, God, you are worthy. You are worthy of my life being separate to you. And as we pursue holiness, we know that in serving, motivations matter, right? Not just the task, but the motivations. God is not primarily concerned with the things we do as much as the motivation from which we do them. And, and I want us to consider six proper motivations for service given to us by Donald Whitney. If you know anything about Donald Whitney, he wrote a book called Spiritual Disciplines. If you haven't read it, I, I encourage you to read it. Very, very good book. Uh, but the first thing he says is be motivated by obedience. Be motivated by obedience. Deuteronomy 13, 14 says, You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. And we notice this, right? As we are obedient, we have a desire to serve God. Secondly, we should be motivated by gratitude. 1 Samuel 12, 24 only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. And listen to what he said. 
For consider what great things he has done for you. And I think that this is likely one of the easiest ones, right? When we think about the great things that God has done for us, the great extent that he has went through with his son, we should be motivated in gratitude to serve. And then how about being motivated by gladness? Psalm 100 verse 2 says, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. And what do we have? We have a picture of the joy that we now live, right? The joy of our life now. We should come to the Lord in gladness and be motivated to serve him. And then how about motivated by forgiveness, not guilt? Well, if you think of the story of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, and we, we know the picture, Isaiah's in the throne room of God, right? I, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And what happens? The seraphim goes to the burning coals with the tongue, takes the coals, and touches his lips. And what does he say? Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And following this, Isaiah says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. And I'm sure he was screaming, right? But what do we see in this picture? We see first he is forgiven. First his sin is atoned for and his guilt is removed. It is taken away. And then what? He has nothing to do. He's not saying I'm still a man of unclean lips, right? No. His sin is taken away. His guilt is removed. And he says, send me. I want to go. I want to serve. And then motivated by humility. Remember, we just talked about Christ washing the disciples' feet. And we could think of all of the other things that Christ did. And we could ultimately think of what Christ did on the cross. The king of all, right? Taken and leaving willfully his majesty, coming down to this earth and dying for us. Humbling himself for a sinful man. If that doesn't humble you, I don't know what will humble you. But we should be motivated by humility to serve a living God. And then finally, motivated by love. Galatians 5.13 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. Through love, serve one another. These are godly motivations spoken about in Scripture. They are great, great encouragement to us. But as we serve God with the right motives, we realize we are fulfilling our primary purpose. What's our primary purpose in life? What a Westminster Catechism tells us, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We are redeemed with a purpose. That purpose is to glorify God. And, and we are to glorify God in all we do. Uh, also a familiar verse to us, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So what Paul is saying is eating and drinking, that's just simple mundane everyday things, right? But no, no, even that, even in that, do that to the glory of God. 
Now, in order to glorify God, we must live in such a way that God is honored and God is shown as most valuable to us. You want to glorify God? Let everyone around you know that he is the most valuable thing. Live in such a way that he is the most valuable thing in your life. And this, was, this is what happens when we serve God. When we serve God, we live that he, like he is most valuable to us. So how do we serve God? First, we serve God in our own personal holiness. We, we look inside of ourselves, right? And, and we live separately from the world and unto this living God that we worship. We do this practically by living a life of repentance and faith. And, and we live that life by continually killing all sin in the flesh and pursuing holiness. Pursuing this sanctification that God is working in our lives to make us more like Jesus. But secondly, we serve God by serving his people. And that leads us into our second point. Because I am called to serve my brothers and sisters in my local church. Now, now we talked about man's primary purpose in life, right? And that's to glorify God. But what about the church? What about the church as a whole? Well, the church's primary purpose, generally speaking, is to live as God's people, glorifying him. And, and glorifying him by exemplifying him and doing his work amidst the fallen world. So the early church had a mission statement, we could say, uh, that's found in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And the main points of that early church mission statement are continually, continuing steadfastly in the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. And we think of those four things, right? And we want to live by those four things too. And as the church, as this church, uh, just like the early church, we want to live like this. And I believe here we pursue biblical teaching and preaching. Uh, I don't know of a, anywhere else local that I would prefer go that pursues greater than we pursue biblical teaching and preaching. So, so what does that mean? We are continuing steadfastly in the apostles' teaching. And then we also participate in the Lord's Supper. What's the Lord's Supper? The breaking of bread that's being talked about. We do that here. What about prayer, right? We pursue praying. And Jared even uh, reminded you all that this month we are trying to devote even more time to prayer. We devote ourselves to prayer here. So what we want to talk about specifically right now is fellowship. And specifically the fellowship of this local assembly. When we think of fellowship, we might just think of hanging out and eating or, or, or being entertained in some way, shape, or form. But, but if you have served, it doesn't take long to realize that in serving the fellowship, in serving the assembly, this corporate church, uh, in serving as well as serving alongside others, that's sometimes some of the sweetest fellowship that we experience in our life. So fellowship is not just being entertained. Fellowship is not just eating. We are to be doing what Christ would be doing if he was here. That's what we are, right? We're Christians. We're little Christ. We are to be doing what Christ would be doing if he was here because Christ is, in fact, here in each and every one of us. 
So we should be serving as his hands and feet that we are called to be. We serve God by being corporately the best representation of his son and what he has done in redeeming a people. That's what we want to be known for, right? That we are the people of God because we serve like Christ served. At the same time that you are serving God by serving his people, you are, in fact, also serving people directly, right? That's what we see in the physical. That's what we do. We serve people. So the question that we want to answer for practicality is how do we serve the people of God in our local church? And there's two things I want to talk about. One, we serve the people of God by being a faithful administer of God's grace. And you may not think of your service in this way, but I want us to have this perspective. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, it says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, God uses us. He uses his children to administer grace to his children, to his other children. Uh, we know that we are saved by God's grace. Uh, we often glory in God's grace. We often pray for God's continued grace. Uh, it's all about grace, grace, grace. We love God's grace. Well, when we serve our local church, we are partaking in in the work of God, in his people's lives. We are tools, we are means, we are channels of the grace of God. This happens continually in the local church through acts of service. Now you may not think of them this way, but I want to consider the one another's of the Bible. I don't think this is all of the one another's of the Bible, but this is quite a few. So I'm going to rattle them off to you. And as I do, what I want you to be thinking of as I mention these one another's, be thinking of this local church. Be thinking of ways that you could put into practice these one another's in this local church. We need to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Build up one another. Be of the same mind as one another. We are called to comfort one another in the face of death. Pray for one another. Be devoted to one another. Be at peace with one another. We should encourage one another. Greet one another. Not become boastful in challenging one another. Be kind to one another. Abound in love for one another. Live in peace with one another. Love one another. Have fellowship with one another. Not judge one another. Take communion with one another. Accept one another. Regard one another as more important than yourself. Bear one another's burdens. Admonish one another. Serve one another. Not lie to one another. Bear with one another. Forgive one another. Care for one another. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Be hospitable to one another. Not complain against one another. Show forbearance to one another. Give preference to one another. Not bite or devour one another. Seek the good of one another. And finally, not forsake the assembling with one another. That's a lot of one another's. That's a lot of instruction for us on how we are to live to one another. If we were to take all of these and state this the easiest way possible, we can just say we are instructed by God to serve one another's needs. 
It's the easiest way we can say this. All these things become needs for us in one way, shape, or form throughout our lives. And we are called to care for the needs for one another. So if we would get a little more specific individually, each of us, in answering how do we serve God's people in the local church, the second way we serve our brothers and sisters in a local church is by using our various gifts given to us by the Holy Spirit. The Lord has given us various gifts in order that he may build up, strengthen, and equip his church. Romans 12, 6 tells us, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them in proportion to our faith. Now, now when you look at this text, Paul doesn't say, if you have gifts, use them in the local church in proportion to your faith. Paul implies you have spiritual gifts. You have been given gifts by God. Your job is to use them in proportion to your faith. Now, Tony has an entire equipping class on spiritual gifts, so I'm not going to get into spiritual gifts and ins and outs of spiritual gifts in here. Uh, his class is meant to do that, and it will serve you well to sign up for it next time if you haven't been through it already. But what I do want to do is I want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and look at the metaphor of the church that Paul uses in speaking about spiritual gifts. Now, just a little quick background. Paul sets out in this section of Scripture to correct some false beliefs and false practices in the church at Corinth. Two main problems of the believers in Corinth that are being addressed here are in desiring the showy gifts or the speaking gifts. They were causing the vision and uselessness of the gifts. So, this is what it means. The gifts were meant to build up and to unify, but the Corinthians were just tearing down and dividing. So these two main problems manifested in two primary ways. Some were saying, I am not needed because I am not like so-and-so, or I cannot do what so-and-so does. And so this group of people, they were desiring the showy gifts, but they did not have the showy gifts. So they said, well, I'm not needed. I'm just not going to do anything. And then there's another group. The others were saying, I have no need of you because you are not like me. You do not have the showy gifts, so I don't need you. Right? Uh, and so what they were doing, they were basically discounting or claiming no need of equally important gifts. So this is what Paul does, and, and if, you, if you turn to it, if you want to look through it, I'm just going to skim through kind of commenting on the verses. But Paul gives us a very simple picture of how the church should look in regards to service. This is what he does. In verses 4 through 7, he tells us that God has granted us diversity in gifts for the sake of unity and the profit of everyone. Profit of everyone in a local church. God has granted each of us a diversity of gifts. We don't all have the same gifts. In 8 through 11, he teaches that we are each given unique gifts that are distributed by the Spirit of God as he wills. So, so practically, we are not to desire something we wasn't given. 
God has given us specific gifts and he has given it to us with purpose. In 12 through 14, Christ is one body, meaning the church, and he is made up of many members, meaning individual believers. <clears throat> That's each of us that make up this local church, right? We are all individual members of the one body of Christ. And then in 17 through 19, members or individuals should not feel apart because they are not like someone else. Members are actually diverse in function uh, with purpose, right? This means that we are not all the same and we have not all been given the same gifts. God has designed it as such so that we make up one complete unified body. It's not unified to be uniform and all the same gift. If we all had the same gift, do you know how much need we would have? We would be full of need, and, and those needs couldn't be met. So next, 20 through 21, there are many members implying many functions, and no member can say there is no need of another member. In 22 through 24, the answer, all members are needed. Every single member and every single gift, every single function is needed. The weaker are necessary, the less honorable receive greater honor, the unpresentable have greater modesty. God has designed it this way so that all members have a place, so that all members have a significance, and all members are important to the local body of Christ. Verse 25, the main point of the section. The main point is that God has specifically designed the body of Christ this way, that there be no division, but that all would have a part in serving one another and contributing to the unity as well as the building up of the body of Christ. Brothers and sisters, you were given a gift. You were given a specific gift. And you were given that gift to administer it among this body of believers, building up the body and unifying the body. We all have a role to play in that. And we all should be playing that role. One member suffers, we all suffer. One member rejoices, we all rejoice with that member. Uh, something I thought about, about whenever I was studying this, maybe you think it's corny, you know, it's been applied to, to other things as well, but there is no I in church, right? Only a you, right? Well, if we think about the you, if we consider the you, if we focus on the you, that means all of you, look around and point, you, you, right? Meaning others, if we focus on the you, we will have a healthy, serving church. We will serve one another properly because our concern is for others. Our concern is for how do we administer this gift that God has given me. Now, even though we focus on um, <clears throat> the Christian servant and, and thinking of others more highly than ourselves, and we point to service as being the life uh, that is lived just like Christ's life, right? A, a life of sacrifice for others. We do, in fact, reap benefits from our service. So I want to give a disclaimer here. This should not be a primary motivation for service, but just a realized benefit of service. When you serve, you do reap benefits. So finally, why do we serve our local church? Number three, 
because in serving my local church, I am also a recipient of grace. We benefit tremendously when we serve others. Just like others are built up in their relationship with the Lord through our service, we are built up in our relationship with the Lord through our service to others as well as their service being reciprocated to us. So first we benefit for the purpose of godliness. We are built up. We are being sanctified as we serve, as we are being served by our brothers and sisters. We grow spiritually when we live to serve our community of believers. We grow closer to Christ by living like Christ as a servant. We grow closer to God's people when we live serving them. And then we also get better at serving the more we serve, right? You can think of this in your individual ministries. The more you serve, the more you practice service, the better you get at it. And not only are we being built up in our relationship with the Lord, but we are also being built up in our relationship with our brothers and sisters that we will spend eternity with. So secondly, we benefit in mutual affection with our church family. So, so if you think back about something that we spoke about earlier, just as God uses us to minister his grace to others, God uses others to minister his grace to us. So, so the whole picture of you being a tool, you being a means, you being a channel of grace, of God's grace being poured on you to others, the same happens when God's grace pours on others in his channel to you through their acts of service. And consider the results of this. Relationships are built. Relationships are strengthened. The other's needs that you set out to meet should be meeting your needs that you are rather incapable of. I mean, we can all think of services that go on in the church and we're like, I don't know how they do it. I could never do that. Well, that's because you weren't meant to do that. They were meant to do that to serve you, to build up the body. We're all here to contribute to this one body of Christ and to the unity and the building up of this one body of Christ. So as way of conclusion, I want to kind of try to bring this together now. We started out by asking the question, why should I serve in my local church? And what do we look at first? Because you serve God when you serve in your local church. So, so you understand your rightful position before a holy God, and then you begin to live pursuing personal holiness. This gives you a proper motivation for serving in his kingdom. So, right? You pursue holiness, you are being sanctified, and therefore you will have proper motivations to serve in God's kingdom. Secondly, it is the people of God that you are actually serving. It's your brothers and sisters that are sitting next to you. You serve them by being a faithful administer of God's grace. So God has called you. He has called you to administer his grace to your fellow believers, and he has gifted you with gifts specifically to minister to the local church, to minister to those same brothers and sisters. And finally, as you serve the local church, your soul benefits. You serve your local church, benefiting in relationship with God, benefiting as you serve people, and you naturally grow closer to people through this. You grow closer to them, 
they grow closer to you. God's church is built. God's church is unified. Now, I want us to consider some practical applications, right? But what do we do with this? How do we take this and serve in our local church? And I'm going to break this down into two categories, all right? The first category, I want to give you five ways to evaluate and encourage your heart for service. So five ways. And then secondly, we're just going to look at some specific things that go on here in the local church. Maybe you knew, maybe you don't know where to get plugged in. Hopefully it'll encourage you. So five practical applications for you to look introspectively, right? Look in your own heart. First, start being. What do I mean by this? See yourself as part of the body of Christ and be part of the body of Christ. You remember, a local church is a small expression of God's church, right? A small expression of God's people of which you are a vital member. Start being that vital member. Start living it out. That vision should thrust you into wanting to serve. You need to be a part of the body that you were called to be so that the body is complete. And it is only complete when all the members are doing what they are called to do in the local church. Now consider this. The body is lacking if you are not being the member that you are called to be. This gets to our next point. Start doing. Service is doing. Just like Kevin said last week, your presence here in the sanctuary today is encouraging. Right? Your commitment to show up and worship is encouraging. Your commitment to Sunday school, which we have a very large amount of our members that attend Sunday school, and we are thankful it is encouraging. But we are all called to be doers. We are all called to do. We are gifted to be doers. And we need doers. Each and every one of us needs doers. This is what we uh, mean whenever we have that often used slogan, don't be a spectator, be a participator, right? We wear that out, don't we? Well, if you aren't serving because you don't know your spiritual gift, start serving so you can realize your spiritual gift, right? Also, commit to a disciplined service. This is something else that's brought up in Donna Whitney's book, and I thought it was phenomenal. Commit to a disciplined service. And this is what I mean. Resolve not only to serve when it's convenient or when it's exciting, but serve because you see a need that needs to be met. Commit to filling needs. Thirdly, start training. And what do we mean? Start training yourself to be kingdom-minded. Serving is not for self-recognition. Serving is for God glorification. So train your mind to be kingdom-minded. Although in our fallen nature we don't recognize everybody's service, we all need to be better at that, right? But all well-meaning service is in fact profitable and it does not go unnoticed by God. So no matter how big you think your service is or how small you think your service is or what you are called to do, don't desire what someone else has. Do what God has called you to do because God is the one that ultimately notices. Now, 
Fourth, start noticing. Start noticing the needs of the church corporately. Uh, so, so that's needs that it takes for this to go on every weekend. Needs that it takes for all the things that, that we decide as, as members, as teams, as leaders to do around here to serve our, mem our members. So, so start noticing the, the needs that need to be met and start trying to meet them. And, and a very simple thing, consider what heaven's going to be like. If you think you're going to be sitting on a throne like James and John, you're wrong. You're not going to be sitting on a throne where people come and serve you. We're going to heaven to serve and worship the king. And, and in heaven, we should look forward to the fact that we will be perfect. We will be glorified. We will be just like Jesus. And we will finally be able to serve him like he deserves to be served. Because he is worthy. Well, we can do that now. We can start training for that time now, right? Finally, start encouraging. Start encouraging others in their service if you aren't in the habit of doing that already. Everyone in service knows that service is often hard. Service is sometimes lonely. And a little bit of encouragement, a little bit of gratitude goes a very, very long way. And those folks serving, they're serving to serve you ultimately and to serve God. Now, those five things we can all work on in our hearts, right? Um, now, you may be asking, what are ways I can serve here? What are some things that I can do in this local church? What are some needs that aren't met already, right? Well, I would start off with somewhat of a blanket statement and say this. I would say if you have something in mind, if you see a ministry that, that you have desire for, that you feel called to, ask about it, pursue it. Because 9 out of 10 or 99 out of 100 or 999 out of 1,000, there's a very high percentage they need your help. And there's also a high percentage that there is someone or multiple people in that ministry that are called to serve in that ministry. They're not gifted necessarily to serve in that ministry. They saw a need and they just stepped up because that need wasn't being fulfilled. So if you see anything going on, you know of anything going on, you feel called to anything, inquire about it. So just some things that go on here. Some ways that you can possibly serve in this church. We think of the worship team, right? Now, there are a variety of services with the worship team. There's not only singing and instruments up here, although there is singing and instruments up here. But we also have the operation of the soundboard. And often there are technical needs that need to be met. So, so it may not be a every week service, but, but you can offer your help and your service to the worship team. See Jared. Also, the media team, very similar things that go on in there, but uh, they work the slides for our service that are very beneficial to all of us. Uh, they also help with different IT things that go on. Don't ask me about that. Ask Tony. I don't know about it. <laughs> um, video announcements, right? You can help with video announcements. How about the Facebook page, the website? All these things the media, the media team set out to serve you with. If you feel called to that, speak to them. How about the greeting team? You could help welcome people into service. You could hand out information. Uh, we were handed bulletins this morning. Guests are handed uh, guest packages, visitor packets, whatever you want to call them. Uh, and you can help people be seated. There's many different ways that you can help with the greeting team. And here's a big one for us. What about kids ministry? 
There's lots of places you can serve in kids' ministry. We have kids' Sunday school that often needs help. We have Wednesday night Awana. Miss Paulette is currently asking for help. Uh, we also have... <clears throat> um, blanked out now. Well... We have those things, and we have the teaching that goes on in there. And so don't be afraid that you're going to be asked to teach. Because if you're not gifted at teaching, you won't be asked to teach. But they need help. They need help just keeping the kids straight, just keeping the kids on task, keeping the kids on time. So there's not only teachers, there's helpers in the children's ministry. We also have the youth ministry. And as you well know, we don't have a full-time youth minister here. It's primarily ran by volunteers. So the youth meet on Sunday mornings. They meet on Wednesday nights. Um, they have outside functions that go on that may need help organizing or executing. You can get on with the youth ministry. We have teaching ministries here, ranging from kids to adults. Um, if you feel that you're called to teach, get with Tony. Get plugged in somewhere. Uh, it'll be determined if that's your gift, uh, and you can get plugged in with the teaching ministry. Also, we have a cleaning crew that does the biggest part of the cleaning inside this building, but there are always things that need to be cleaned. If you're a person, it's like, I, I don't want to be in front of nobody, and, uh, you know, I, I like to do stuff like this. I like things clean. I see this that needs to be tidied up, whatever it is. Just get plugged in, and you can be part of um, a cleaning ministry here. We also have the outside and the church structure, right? The building on the inside. The building on the grounds team. Uh, snow leads that, but a team of, of men and women. If you are gifted in some certain way or you have talents for keeping up this place, please see snow and get plugged in. It's another way that you can serve here. Um, now, this one. Here in South Louisiana, we like to eat, right? We all like to eat. We have meals. Miss Tanya leads the, the meal ministry for us, right? With a great team of ladies. Well, there's a lot that goes into that, right? There's planning. There's prepping. There's cooking. There's serving. There's cleaning. Many, many things. If you not only like to eat, but you like to serve and feeding other people, give them this time. You may be good at some sort of administerial work, right? Uh, well, there's many things here in various ways that you could serve in organizing or helping with administration. Uh, maybe you're good with outreach, and you can help with those ministries. Maybe you're gifted at supporting families in need or maybe at providing various care services for our members. You can get plugged in there. And how about leading different prayer ministries? I mean, what's going on right now is amazing. It doesn't have to end at the end of February. Uh, you can start a prayer ministry in groups, right, or a group meeting however often or once or whatever it may be. Get involved in a prayer ministry. And also, you may believe you're gifted in some form of leadership. Well, get plugged in. Get involved in ministry here at this local church, and those gifts will come to light. Now, there's more that I'm 
forgetting and not listening here. There, there are many, many things that go on in this church. Many, many things that go on unnoticed in this church. The point is, get plugged in. Remember what I said to keep as your vision through this whole thing. This local church is made up of believers that are a vital part of its working. You are a vital member. So as members of the body of Christ, the rest of the body of Christ needs you. The rest of the body of Christ needs you to administer your gift and to serve even alongside of them. So... It's my encouragement for you today. I'll pray for us, and then we'll, we'll be able to be dismissed. Father God, um, I thank you, God. I thank you not for what's written down in this paper, God, but for what's been written down throughout history, God. Father, we are called to be the same as believers from the very beginning, God. We are called to live as your people among one another, serving one another, God. Father, that we may be an example of Christ, that we may build one another up, that we may be a unified people among a lost and dying world, God. So, Father, I pray. I pray that you work in our hearts, God. I pray that you work by encouraging us in the, the service that we do already, God. I pray that you would convict us in ways that you and you only know how to convict us, God. And, Father, I pray that we leave here motivated, God motivated to serve you and to serve our local church, our family, God, our brothers and sisters in Christ. So, Father, I thank you. We worship you. And, Father, we pray in the name of your only son, Jesus. Amen.